the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greeny. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. everyone thank you very much for tuning into the let's talk leadership podcast so very happy to ha- today to have the fantastic damien brooks on who's the cto at arbor education arbor education are on a mission to transform the way schools work with smarter hassle-free tools teachers love to use they're fastest growing cloud mis provider in the uk and we're extremely happy to have um, damien on the show today hi damien hi there thank you for having me Hi hey Damien, I'm Sandra Patel-Stewart of Transition Partners. How are you doing today and how's your day going? Fantastic, thank you. Um, Good. Yeah, busy day as always, but uh, but cracking on. Yeah, I've heard you've been very busy lately. It's, it's nice to, um, I know you've been struggling diary-wise, so it's great to to fit you in and, and get you booked in to, to record today. Um, so I'd like to um, kind of kick off and, and start with, understanding a bit more um about your background I had a look at your um profile earlier and and i always it's always nice to see um ctos and kind of c-level leaders within the industry that have um kind of started their journey off in in tech roles i think you started in sort of a um tech related role worked moved into business analysis and, and architecture and so on but it'd be really great to for you to go through, talk us through that journey so the listeners can understand a bit more about you and your background. Um, so over to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think like a, a lot of people my age, um, which is 21, by the way, um, <laughs> I, I kind of sparked my interest in, in technology through computer games. So as a kid, I had a, a Commodore 64, which was common back then. And yeah, that really yeah. kick-started my interest in in gaming and technology and kind of tinkering with things and so it's through that that I actually um, worked in in university um, got Mm -hmm. a degree in computer games and progressed into the computer games industry which is where I really kind of first cut my teeth in coding and technology and it's a great industry for being able to um, learn very quickly and kind of progress very quickly it's quite a a fast-paced and and rapid Mm -hmm. industry but Ultimately, I, I kind of wasn't fulfilled in that, um, and I wanted something that was a bit more impactful with business. And so I made the, the natural transition from a games engineer, which is to go as be a business analyst. Um, it's quite an mm-hmm. odd jump, uh, <laughs> but being a business analyst kind of gave me a great insight onto the business side of things. So yeah. how technology enables business and what, what things could be solved through technology to either optimize processes or improve um, how things are done or how things are delivered. And that's kind of been the, I guess, the story of my career. It's always been using technology and, and building teams and doing things that deliver something for the business. Um, that's where I find the, you know, the, the motivation and the kind of impetus behind the job. It's how you how you do that in a, an optimal and um, an efficient way. And I, I've managed to do that in a number of roles. So through business analysts to an architect. Um, been lucky enough to work in companies like Ticketmaster, kind of architecting global systems there, and through to technology leadership as well. So that's what 
I find my role as a CTO is at the moment is really to to build the best teams um, and mm-hmm. enable them to deliver the greatest value we can for our customers. So yeah, it's been a really fun journey to get here. Great, fantastic. And you've you've worked across um, a variety of industries as well, haven't you? Because I I often find I mean I've I've been in um, the tech recruitment space for about I think nineteen. 18, 19 years now, um, and um, often find that when I'm interviewing or um, speaking to people kind of at, at your level, at sea level, that um, a lot of the um, market tend to have focused or, or gone up through one industry, like stuck to financial services or stuck to retail, and you've had quite a, a good variety in um, background, haven't you? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to have been able to do that. I've moved from e-commerce um through fintech and investment banking mm-hmm. obviously games are back there somewhere as well um mm-hmm. and now in edtech so mm-hmm. it's been really great to see the differences between industries um yeah. but also the striking thing i think is the the similarities i think the challenges are very similar between companies particularly when it comes to delivering software and products yeah. um and i think having that that experience and that view has kind of helped me realize what those commonalities are and mm-hmm. the best ways to address mm-hmm. them do you think that's um, helped you progress quicker or been one of the things that have kind of added towards that? I think so. I think being able to perhaps come with a different view, um, particularly when you're joining a new industry that perhaps is a bit more traditional or standard, mm-hmm. um, bringing some newer ideas or things that other industries may take for granted has been a, a good skill to have. Um, and just generally being able to apply a different lens to the problems that, that I face. I think it definitely gives, um, uh, you know, it gives it gives uh, an ability really to, I guess, have a a, a better backpack full of of skills and tricks mm-hmm. that that you can pull on and and adapt to certain situations. So, I do think it's it's useful to have that kind of broad experience. Yeah, definitely. You certainly got that um, proven background, haven't you, to show that you can adapt in any environment, industry, and to any kind of culture and and style, which is amazing. Um, so on that um, note, obviously you've got um, a number of years, a good solid background um, from a leadership point of view. It'd be really interesting to find out more about your um, leadership style and how your um, what what your what your personal view of your leadership style is, but also how you think your teams would describe your leadership style. Yeah, sure. Um... So I, I think I always strive to be a, a, an inspiring leader. I think that's, um, that's something that's hard to quantify um, and, and perhaps difficult to achieve. But I think you recognize the results when you're doing that by seeing similar actions in your, your team um, and being able to kind of identify the, the kind of performance that you'd like to see in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Broadly, though, I try to be a very collaborative and, and trusting leader. I think one of... One thing I learned a long time ago, um, which I've had it taken to heart, is try not to be the, the smartest person in the room and don't mm-hmm. hire people like yourself. Um, I really appreciate the diversity in thought and approach that a, a diverse mm-hmm. team can bring. It's quite um, difficult on that, though, isn't it? Because you do always naturally look for, the, for similar qualities, don't you, when you're interviewing? Yeah, it really is. And a lot of that comes down to personality as well. I think naturally you're, you're kind of drawn to a personality that's similar to yourself. Yeah. Um, so being quite disciplined and having good rigor in your, your hiring process as well. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be the only person in the hiring process. I think that's um, an obvious thing to do. Make sure there's room for um, 
as many people as appropriate to be part of that and, and have an opinion. Um, but it, it really does pay dividends. Uh, I think if if I weren't to have realized that a long time ago and were to build teams that were a bit more traditional and a bit more um, uh, kind of just one mindset, uh, you would lose a lot of that outside thinking and innovative attitude that, that I'd like to kind of grow in the teams. So I think that, that's what I really look for. Um, and as a leader, I, I see my position as just enabling that. Um, I'm there to build the team, to set a direction and a clear vision, and then entrust them to solve the challenges that, that are brought up. So yeah, so, um, hopefully that's what they would say. Something along those lines anyway. <laughs> I think it's interesting there you said about your interview process and making sure there's lots of rigor to it. Um, I've had lots of conversations lately about hiring tech teams and the strategy for that. Have you got any, I guess, tips or anything that you use at the moment that you think particularly stands out? I know I've had a few grumbles lately about the likes of Codility and Tech Test and then people singing the praises of pair program with, programming which to me seems like the best way to be able to do a tech test but then someone else said to me wow that puts a lot of pressure on the on the developer at the time and there's so many things isn't there so many different ways how do you go about that at arbor and what do you recommend yeah so that's something i've i've really kind of focused on a lot particularly um since i've been in a a leadership position um it's such an important part of the role to have a good hiring process I think that that extends to failed candidates as well. You want the best hiring process, um, regardless of whether they're successful mm-hmm. or not. That that impacts your brand and, and how people yes. view you. Yeah. Uh, um, I've, I've I can see in in joining other teams where perhaps people make mistakes as they try and find what they see others doing and adapts that to what they're looking for. So, the canonical example is how Google conduct their interviews. Um, and everything Google does is seen, you know, as a an industry leading standard, and so it gets adapted. Where actually, particularly for a company like ours, that really doesn't those aren't the kinds of people we're looking for. Um, we are a different company at a different stage, and we deliver different things. So I think being very conscious of the kind of person you want to hire, and making a hiring process that calls out those qualities and gives you an opportunity for for the candidate to show them. Um, so half of the interview process is technical, but the other half is very strongly focused on culture and, you know, what makes the person turn up for work every day. Um, why would they want to join a company like ours? Um, you know, where, where does their personality align with with how we work and how we um, get things done? So that that's a really important thing that I think gets underplayed a lot. Um, I think that's, that's really crucial, particularly when you want to build a cohesive team that are aligned on the mission. Um, and again, I'd like to think at Arbor, we have a really strong culture um, that's there because we put the time in to do that during the hiring. When it comes to the yeah. technology side, I am, I'm a huge advocate of pairing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there is a, a, vi- a valid concern about putting people under pressure. So um, mm-hmm. the emphasis is on, on you as an interviewer to make sure that the people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, don't assess them for things like production readiness of the code they're producing in a 45 minute pressured pair (laughs) environment you're really just testing how they approach a problem whether they can you know admit that they need to look something up um how they ask questions and and get involved with actually solving the challenge and -hmm. i think important to make the challenge as close to the challenges that you actually face in the job is important as well so not something completely standard and agnostic to what you're doing but make it something real 
um, see how they approach something that would actually come to face during the day-to-day -day job. Um, so yeah, I think uh, a as a leader, the more time you can spend on honing that process, I think that's one of the biggest things you can do to, to really yeah. grow a good team. I love how much thought you put into it. So yeah. you're clearly a very thoughtful leader <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. At what stage would you um, conduct the um, paired programming test throughout your in, within your business? So we, we typically um, try and stick to two stages. Um, again, mm -hmm. that's just being conscious of the amount of time the candidate has to spend in interviews. Um, mm -hmm. Try not to you know, draw that out into multiple weeks and hours and hours of testing and interviews. Um, it's during the second stage that we typically do the technical test. So by that point within the first stage, we've assessed general technical knowledge and readiness, um, mm -hmm. but, but also primarily their kind of cultural fit and, you know, where mm -hmm. their motivations lie and whether the jobs actually match their aspirations, etc. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting um, and great to, I think it showcases a bit about your leadership style and your approach which is brilliant I think people learn a lot don't they with the depths of challenge and when they face adversity at work that's where you find you get most of your learning so it'd be brilliant if you can tell us I guess a sneak peek and a bit of a discussion around some of your war stories and battle scars and the learnings that you got from the end of them I have to be careful what I pick um <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of war stories I think um I think the first thing to say is everyone has them. Um, they, they are a good source of learning. So as as ashamed as I am at some of them, I think um, I'm glad they happened because I, I for, for sure won't be doing them again. Um, <laughs> I think one of, my, one of my most um, famous ones that I, I bring up in the pub a lot um, is uh, the, the time that I, I joined a, a startup company. Um, and as part of what I was trying to do was uh, back up and... Um, have a, a kind of escrow holding of all our source code. So from GitHub, back everything up, put it somewhere else just in case, um, you know, anything got lost and to back it. Somehow in the midst of that, I managed to delete all of the repositories from GitHub. Oh, so no. all of the source code for the company, um, <laughs> which was a, a real heart in the mouth moment. Um, luckily I had local copies of everything so could recreate it really easily, but Ooh. it just goes to show how, how quickly things like that can, can happen. Um, yeah. Either when you're under stress or, you know, you're trying to do something quickly and not giving it enough attention. Um, it was, uh, yeah, that that's, gives me palpitations just thinking about that. But, um, <laughs> it makes me nervous. There's, there's lots of instances. Of <laughs> I have lots of instances of things like that. And I think they always occur because, you know, it's, it's never intentional. It's always out of a good place, but it's usually because either you're um, under pressure too much and not being given time to, to really think about what you're doing or approach it, um, or you're just trying to do too much at once, um, which is certainly the case when, when I did that. Um, so yeah, I, I've certainly got some scars. <laughs> what about from a leadership perspective? Has there been any specific scenarios that you can mention that kind of that you learned along the way and that you'll be able to advise others on? Yeah, I think um, uh, a fact of, of leadership is identifying poor performance. Um, and it's not, you know, I don't think there's any anyone that enjoys that side of, of the job, but it's a critical part of it. Um, I think certainly from my perspective, the thing I've, I've learned is to enact that as quickly as possible when you see a problem. Um, you need to be on top of that because uh, that has the potential to become toxic and, um, you know, infect other team members and their morale and, and how they're doing things. 
So I think um, as well as building a great team, you really have to manage that and just be responsive to any issues you have around um, poor performance or people issues or whatever it might be that could affect someone's um, someone's role. And so uh, I have, you know, examples in the past where maybe I haven't done that as quickly as possible and it has become a much bigger issue than it perhaps needed to be um, if yeah. it was just a conversation earlier. Um, so that's something I, I pay a lot of attention to day to day, making sure that those are, uh, are dealt with as quickly as possible. Nipped in the bud. Mm-hmm. Nipped in the bud, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it, one of those things, isn't it, where it's, it's sometimes easier said than done and hindsight, a wonderful thing. But um, like Eddie said, it's, you know, it's, and you said yourself, it's, it's, these are the things that I'm sure every leader has made a mistake or two around once or twice in their, in their life. It's just about how we learn from those and, and move forward. So, um, we're really interested on that point. Um, like, you know, we've said is that you've obviously got a good, strong leadership background. You've come across as very inspiring and engaging leader where it's all about the people. Um, I'm sure you've come up with some particularly challenging times as most businesses and most CTOs um, in recent times. How are you currently motivating your teams and how are you um, helping to keep them united? Um, Obviously, we're not, you know, we're not all being able to go into the office these days and socialise. How are you, what, what measures and things have you put in place to to kind of crack that as a, a company? So we um, we're very lucky at Arba that we have a, a great people team um, that really help us in, in ensuring that we've got time to bring people together, um, particularly now. So we're putting a lot of effort into making room for things like socials or virtual coffees and beers, um, just kind of giving room for those conversations and catch ups that would happen organically in the office um, mm-hmm. that no one has an opportunity to do now. I think I um, saw one the other day. Were you dressed up for seventies? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we do little dress-ups and things like that. Um, it looks amazing. Yeah. Some of the team went all out as well. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I didn't, and I felt really bad. Um, <laughs> literally, 99% of the company had gone to huge effort to to bring something 80s out and, and be on camera 80s. with it. Is that, um, yeah. is that something that you've, um, or your people team have, like, specifically organized and booked into the diaries because I found um uh, you know has been um part of transition partners that we've had I mean we we do a, a Friday um boo zoom and we try and do a few socials here and there but I think over the over time we found it particularly difficult actually fitting it in um, you know, even though we're at home and we don't have that commute anymore and essentially we, we've got more time, we've kind of done. Um, what, how, how have you kind of overcome those obstacles? I think I think there was a natural, um, uh, maybe people getting a little tired of the amount of uh, quizzes that were happening via Zoom and, and virtual mm-hmm. meetups and things like that. So I think balancing when they happen, making sure there's a good reason for them as well. Um, so they're not necessarily just arbitrary that might be done in conjunction with um, a product release or um, having a town hall or something like that um, so it gives opportunity at the end of that to then extend into a social session um, mm-hmm. so it's about uh, I think part of that is we survey our staff a lot so we understand you know they give us huge amounts of feedback and what they like um, what they want improved um, how they're finding things 
and that's always um, taken on board and, and we adapt what we're doing for them as part of that. So we, we've been able to really strike the balance um, pretty pretty well, I think, and that's certainly the, the mm. feedback we've been getting. I think those virtual social sessions are just part of it as well. I think the other side of it is making sure that you're, as a business, um, communicating as much as possible to, to your employees. So we do weekly town halls now, we're pretty low and monthly. So at the beginning of the week, um, a shorter session just to say how things are going. Um, people can raise questions to the CEO or any of the management team. Um, and we make sure that people are still aligned and where they're still very clear on what we're doing and how we're performing at the moment. I think that as well as easy as, you know, any concerns people have, um, it again is another opportunity for people to get together um, for something which isn't just turn up and, and talk. It's, you know, yeah. for a purpose. So I think um, having things like that really help as well. Um, the other thing we do, which is um, we've, we've always done, but has been quite helpful during this period, um, is having a buddy system. So people have another person in the company that isn't on their team that you know they talk to for, for anything really, whether they're navigating something in the company or wanting to know something about what their role is or something else um they have someone they can reach out to and and have these kind of informal conversations so it just again is another uh, another way of connecting people and giving them that opportunity mm. um, so that's not... a really good really good idea that because like i guess at times there could be people in within the same team that might not you know might might have an issue to share or a, a mm. problem and, and not share because they're in the same team or you know if they've got a buddy that's externally facing or in a different team then um, you're more likely to open up and ask for support as well aren't you and yeah definitely um, yeah it's, it's, it's much easier when uh you know it's not as close to, to the problem um yeah. having someone like that to talk to yeah definitely ah oh, fantastic um so what are you um most passionate about um i think like most people at arbor um the vision and the mission of Arbor is is why I joined. Um, what we're doing is actually really important to me. Um, and again, going back to the interview, we, we kind of select for that as well in our interview process and find mm-hmm. people that are aligned to that. And that's what really makes me passionate, um, knowing that everything that we do has a, a direct, direct impact on teachers and their students um, and the outcome of students. So it gives a really good motivator day-to-day to, to know that's what you're there for and, and that's yeah. the kind of impact you can have um, and we have that throughout the company as well people are really you know we're full of ex-teachers and education professionals that know the struggles and know what challenges teachers and anyone in education faces uh, being able to directly impact that I think that's a huge mm-hmm. huge motivator and that's that's where I find my passion mm-hmm. um, and then also at the back as well um, I'm a I'm a tech nerd so mm-hmm. I love the fact that we can do that through exciting t- tech and new products and ways of working and being mm-hmm. innovative with how we're solving that so it, it really gives a a good combination of all the things that, that i'm passionate about you still code now or i do um i think uh as a cto um it's it's easy not to code um mm. you're, you're obviously most of your day is spent either with other people helping them or on strategy or, or just general management of the um department but being able to dive into code um whether that's pairing with someone or delivering something 
think a that that helps with your credibility with your engineers yeah. to know that you okay. still can code and you, you know you can do the job but also just gives you a direct access to, to be with them and help them through issues mm. and you know really but you, guys, but you guys love it don't they when you get involved in coding <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure um <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> although um I, I think i'm uh i'm an okay coder i wouldn't say i'm, I'm the best coder on the planet mm -hmm. um but good, good at good at solving problems, I think. So that that's where they find good um good input from me. Mm. But yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's, it's really to show I mean, you're willing to get stuck in as well, isn't yeah, it? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People definitely. Yeah, but that's actually one of our our values as well, and we very much uh, look for people who can can muck in um, and roll their sleeves up. Mm. It's a, a very important thing. So again, demonstrating that as a value, I think, is important. Definitely. So amazing career for a young guy you've clearly progressed and developed really well so i'm sure you've got loads of achievements you could discuss but it'll be fantastic if you could tell us about your greatest achievement today oh greatest achievement um i think uh, it won't be the most um inspirational uh, and it'll sound quite quite small but um being able to i i very distinctly remember delivering a certain product at the very beginning of my career, um, which really kind of unlocked that feeling of I've delivered something that made made a difference um, and has been a, a real game changer. Uh, this was in a company called Centrica, who owned British Gas, um, which is where I started as a business analyst. Mm -hmm. um, I delivered a, a very like I, I look on the actual tech side of it with with um, with dismay now, knowing that I did that back then, but. Uh, mm -hmm. The actual application I delivered was a way of um, kind of automating a lot of the reporting that was taking hours and hours of out of people's time to do. Um, and it was a huge, a huge win to deliver something like that. I think that um, that always sticks in my mind as something that kind of triggered that feeling of oh, I can make something that really does make a difference and people appreciate that. And I've got all these tools I can use to enable that. Um, so perhaps not my greatest achievement, but it's the one I'm, I always look fondly back on and, and probably one of my proudest. It probably lit the fire in the belly though that that's what you like yeah. loved it yeah and like you say helping the teams be more productive that's fantastic and you probably help them they probably hate doing their reports so <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so big job and you're based down in london obviously there's multi sites with the office so i'm sure you're traveling um quite a lot which does it can be quite demanding how do you look after yourself and manage the stress of it all yeah, I, I think that's um, it's a really important topic. I think uh, stress in leadership is is something may maybe we didn't talk about a lot in the past, but actually um, most leaders do feel stress at some points. Um, and it's very easy to get overwhelmed as well if you're not really looking out for that. So I think one of the, the easiest and ob most obvious things you can do is control your calendar a bit, make sure that there's time for breaks in there, um, uh, and I try to, to tell all my team the same as well, um, particularly now where you're stuck at a desk looking at a screen. You have to have time away from that for a coffee or a walk. Make sure you're clocking off at the end of the day and you're giving yourself time um, to decompress and um, you know have time away. I think having a good control of your calendar and not getting overwhelmed by that is, is a, an important first step. Um, and then have some, some hobbies outside as well. So um, I still game. Uh, I still enjoy that. <laughs> Although I, I have little time for it nowadays, so I, I do it somewhat vicariously. But um, it's still a, a good passion for me, and, and I have 
passion in music and playing guitar really really badly um <laughs> so i i do that on a nightly basis but um ha- having those things that are you know very distinctly not related to your job that you can kind of turn to and just mm. forget about things and come back again with a fresh a fresh perspective um it's really important. particularly at the moment as well is it because we're all at home lockdown you're kind of not getting away from your desk like my desk at the moment because mm-hmm. I moved into a new house not long ago I didn't set up an office my fiance kept telling me to put an office in I was like no no don't worry we we'll hardly use it because I love being in the office I don't like working from home and he's quite similar and uh, obviously now I wish I'd listened to him which is <laughs> literally I can't yeah. walk around the house my office is in the kitchen at the moment so I'm constantly oh, well, no. <laughs> hard so having hobbies is 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 more important than ever isn't it to be able to switch off yeah it is definitely and i think i think particularly now when when you're at home and everyone's getting getting used to that and the last couple of months um you don't have that kind of natural end to the day that you would do in an office where you know everyone finishes and leaves and you've got the commute to listen to a podcast or do whatever it's very easy just to keep working and all of a sudden your your day becomes 12 hours um without you kind of realizing it so yeah just making sure you're you have that kind of um, put in your calendar as the end of the day and you're making time to, to make sure you do that. Um, get up out of the chair and go to a different room in the house and do something do something not related to work. Um, yeah, important. Definitely. <laughs> hmm. Definitely. Um, so, um, Teresa, it sounds like you're looking after yourself and you're managing um, that stress of being in a quite a high-profile leadership position. Um, also sounds like you've got um, some good um, kind of things going, some exciting um, things going on within Arbor. Um, What does the next kind of like six to 12 months look like for you then as CTO within Arbor? Like what what big plans or what's exciting coming up on the horizon? So Arbor has been growing rapidly for for the past couple of years which is a, a really exciting position to be in um we're seeing you know bigger customers so um multi-academy trust with a larger number of schools joining um and mm. bigger schools as well who are presenting you know newer challenges and newer opportunities to, to actually impact on the way that they're working um which is core to our our mission so that that in itself is a, a really exciting um place to be in for the company and, and for the um, products and engineering department as well, we have to think about how we're scaling everything to be able to work for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of work in making sure that um, uh, you know we're, we're able to do that and we're on top of, of um, those things coming. But we're also uh, you know but part of our kind of unique proposition is how we utilize data in the platform and what we can do to really draw upon the things that are teachers are using day to day to give back to them good insights and a good view of, of their students progression or any issues they have with that so we've got really exciting products in development at the moment that are really pulling on that data and trying to deliver something that's quite unique and innovative uh, in the industry and that's really exciting i think there's again a huge huge amount of opportunity there to do something quite transformational um, and deliver something which hasn't been done before so it's really exciting to be in the engineering department kind of working on that kind of thing day to day. And um, yeah, the, the issue now is kind of itching fingers to, to mm. get it released and, and yeah. see it in production. It's always quite exciting, isn't it, knowing that you, you're going to be going to market and releasing products that, that 
um, out yeah. there, second to none. And yeah, um, yeah, I think what you really want to see is people using it and yeah. getting that kind of feedback. There's there's nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, cool, um, brilliant. So, um, I think that um, comes to an end of the. Um, yeah, no, no, it's been brilliant. It's been really enjoyable having you on. Yeah, so, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys. So it's been really good. Oh, good. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much to all the listeners that have tuned into the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. Damien, if they want to reach out to you, can they get in touch? Is it best by LinkedIn or Twitter or? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my profile picture and for some reason my baby profile picture is on the ABBA website as well. So um, <laughs> you can have a good chuckle at that and then email me if you'd like um, with any questions. Perfect. Yeah, great. Well, it's been fantastic for having you on. So thanks very much for taking the time to... Um, to spend your afternoon with us and um we hope the uh, listeners have enjoyed the podcast and we'll look forward to speaking to you again next week thank you thank you